This episode is brought to you by EarthBreeze, the one New Year's resolution I've ever been able to stick to. It's completely transformed my laundry experience. Gone are the big, heavy plastic jugs, the measuring out of detergent every time. All I do is grab an EarthBreeze wash sheet. All I do is grab an EarthBreeze eco sheet. It looks just like a dryer sheet, except it's slightly less dry. It's ultra concentrated detergent. I throw it in the wash and that's it. Never think about it again. Laundry comes out great, clean, fresh smelling, no harmful chemicals or bleaches or dyes or anything in there. If you want to change up your laundry game this year, right now my listeners can get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled, that's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. Welcome back to Drilled. I'm Amy Westervelt. Our series with Earther has come to a close. I'm going to miss Darna Noor co-hosting with me. But we do have one more thing to bring you today, and that is the complete interview that we did with Katie Worth. Her book, Miseducation, about the sorry state of climate education in U.S. schools is coming out November 16th, so in just a little over a week. If you're interested in getting that book, we'll stick a link in the show notes. Katie had a bunch of really interesting things to share from her research, which we were able to include in a couple of episodes, but we thought that you might want to hear the whole interview. That's coming up right after this quick break. New Year's resolutions are almost destined to fail. I resolve almost every year to work less, and we all know it's not going to (laughs) happen. But one thing I have been able to stick to, and you can too, is switching up the way you do laundry in 2024 and grabbing Earth Breeze. I know you're thinking laundry is not so fun. Those huge, heavy plastic jugs measuring out the right amount, getting goo all over the place. It's annoying. EarthBreeze Eco Sheets totally changed the game. Unlike powder or liquid, EarthBreeze actually looks like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated laundry detergent. And it's super easy. You just throw it into your laundry and that's it. There's no measuring, there's no lugging anything around. Your laundry comes out clean. It smells great. I love it. It's genuinely made my life easier. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, free of bleach and dyes. So it's perfect for every load. You'll never run out of detergent again, thanks to EarthBreeze's easy, flexible subscription. You can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Plus shipping is always free and EcoSheets are packaged in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. 
It also gets rid of one more plastic thing in your life. And the company has donated over a hundred million loads of laundry and counting to those in need. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. 40, 40. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E.com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. So I I was thinking it'd be good to have you start by just talking a little bit about what got you interested in this particular subject in the first place. So I got interested, let's see, a few years ago, my colleague Michelle Meisner and I went to the Marshall Islands because we were doing a, a story about climate change and children and we wanted to go somewhere where the the effects were already very visible because we were doing a film we wanted to capture it and so while we were there we talked to all these kids and we were really struck by how much they knew about climate change like they were more conversant in the causes and effects of climate change than like most adults that I know and wow little kids. So the deal with the Marshall Islands is that they can move, Marshallese folks can move to the U.S. without a visa because we have a military base on their island as part of the negotiated agreement. So there's a very large Marshallese community in Arkansas of all Mm -hmm. places. One of the, the kids that we were talking to in in the Marshall Islands, his family was considering moving to the States. And so the question came up, well, okay, well, what would he learn if he moved to the States about climate change? What are American kids learning about climate change? So that was sort of an open question. And there had been some reporting on it, but not a great deal. And so that's kind of how I started digging into the question. That's so interesting. Would love to have you walk through this example of the school that you visited in Arkansas when there was surprisingly an energy company person there. (laughs) We went to Springdale, Arkansas to visit some schools there because of this connection to the Marshall Islands, because there's such a large Marshallese community in, in Springdale. And so I went and visited a few different schools and, uh, one of them was a middle school. And I 
started talking to the science teachers and in walks this lobbyist for the oil and gas industry. And she is a representative actually of Arkansas independent producers and royalty owners, which is Arkansas's oil industry organization, basically. And she was there to talk to the seventh graders. And she had a whole PowerPoint presentation. And her entire job was to go school to school and give a presentation about the fossil fuel industry to middle schoolers, mostly. Occasionally, she would visit like an elementary school or a high school, um, but spoke to a lot of fifth graders and seventh graders. Wow. Okay. And there's this one line that you have in the book that this person was talking about where she says, so when you consider energy, you have some real thinking to do. And then she talks about like, you don't want to stop building homes. Yeah. So she was there. I mean, a lot of what she was talking about was kind of legitimate information, like, you know, how oil is taken from the ground and the machinery that does that and kind of the geology of it all. But then she got into talking about carbon emissions. And she didn't really explain what carbon emissions were. She didn't explain why they might be a problem. She said that it would be a problem, but she didn't explain anything about global warming or climate change, but instead immediately launched into this list of all the problems that exist with all of the different fuels. So like solar, if it's cloudy, you don't get energy and wind mills kill birds and so on. And then she talks about how important fossil fuels are to the world and how they've lifted people out of poverty. And if we kind of stop using fossil fuels, we'll leave a whole bunch of people in poverty, according to her, which is not supported by evidence. But, you know, that was the narrative that she was telling. And she had this line. So she was talking about how when you're considering energy, you have to do some thinking about your values. She says, first of all, you need to decide your standard of value. You need to decide, is human life the most important? Humans getting healthier, wealthier, happier, living longer? Or is pristine nature more important? Do we want to quit building new houses, stop getting stuff out of the ground? Do we want to leave it exactly as it is? Because that would be difficult. Thankfully, we don't have to choose in this country. We are working in a happy medium at this point. So, wow. (laughs) It's such a happy medium. I actually later on today have to evacuate because of the wildfires around me. Happy medium. (laughs) It's fine. I'm curious to hear just, you know, what you thought when you heard this and whether any, like whether that class's teacher or any of the kids like had any kind of pushback to, to what she was saying? None of the kids asked any questions. The only question I remember them asking was how much they might be able to make if they worked for the industry, like worked for the oil and gas industry. And she said it might be $100,000. And they were just like, whoa. Um, And that, you know, they didn't ask any questions. She also, you know, that part wasn't set up for questions. She just kind of railed through this, like, do we want pristine nature? Do we want humans to prosper? Which one would you choose? Thankfully, we don't have to choose. Let's move on. You know, so there was like this, this kind of major 
question raised and then resolved immediately. And then she moved on and, and the teacher was very deferential to her. So of course, the students were too. That's so interesting. So actually, I wanted to ask you about whether you, in the course of reporting this book, got a sense of how U.S. schools became so kind of susceptible to industry influence. I remember talking to one person who was like, look, I barely have three minutes in the day to pee. So if somebody sends me this lesson plan and it's like really well produced and looks very professional, I might use it, you know, and it's relevant to my students, you know, like it's not really on teachers, you know, shouldn't necessarily be on teachers to make sure, you know, to like, I mean, well, maybe it should, obviously they should check their sources and so on, but like, these Mm -hmm. are things that are meant to look professional and, and they usually do. Some of them are like outright climate denial, but then there's a lot of materials that are much subtler and, you wouldn't necessarily catch if you weren't like really looking for it. So for example, there's an organization called the National Energy Education Development Project, NEED, and they have their whole purpose is to create educational materials about energy, which seems like a good thing, you know, and they talk about energy conservation. They talk about every, all kinds of energy, including some renewables which like in theory sounds like a good thing, but they are sponsored by all of these energy companies. And some of them are, you know, wind or solar companies, but most of them are fossil fuel companies. And that's how they get the vast majority of their budget. And Mm -hmm. so they, they told me that they aren't influenced by their sponsors. But then if you actually look at the materials they produce, it's really industry friendly. And so like, for example, they have these packets of activities and lessons for different age groups about all the different energy sources. And there's like 14 pages of information and activities about petroleum. Mm -hmm. Nowhere in those materials is carbon dioxide mentioned. Climate change isn't mentioned. And the only environmental impacts are that they do talk about environmental impact, but what they talk about is water pollution or air pollution. Mm -hmm. And then then they say, (laughs) then here, here, I'm going to quote this directly. So there's a paragraph about all the great things that, that petroleum products do for us. But that there's a trade-off because there can be, you know, some oil or water pollution. And then there's a paragraph that reads, the petroleum industry works hard to protect the environment. Gasoline and diesel fuel have been changed to burn cleaner. And oil companies work to make sure that they drill and transport oil as safely as possible. Wow. So what's that saying is like, don't worry about it because the petroleum industry cares so much about it and they're working really hard to protect the environment. And so everything's fine, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this problem, but they're taking care of it. Right. And basically every non-renewable resource discussed in these materials presents it that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, like everything's taken care of. Yes, there's problems. You might have heard about them, but don't worry. It's all it's all being taken care of. And that has this effect of leaving children with the feeling like 
it almost inoculates them. So when, when they hear about an oil spill, they're like, oh yeah, I learned about that. But like, fortunately there's ways to take care of it. And like, there's no discussion of regulation. There's no discussion of climate change. It's just like, here is this product that does so many things for us. And fortunately the people who make it are really concerned about doing it in a way that's safe. Yeah. So me and Darna have been focusing on kind of on the social science side, not necessarily how it influences social science curricula, although we have found some of that too, but, but the way that like the industry's materials and sort of influence in education has served to kind of narrow the spectrum of possible solutions that we're even sort of allowed to consider. Yeah. And I'm curious if you find that to, to hold up in what you've you've seen too. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the end goal of all of this is to stymie action on climate change so that the trillions of dollars worth of fossil fuels that are underground can be removed before the regulation happens and um, and sold and turned into profit, right? So right. that's their goal. And, and it was laid out in that victory memo. They said that the goal was to stop the Kyoto Protocol from being implemented and mm-hmm. to um, ward off future efforts like Kyoto. Yeah. And, you know, they've Mission accomplished. Yeah. yeah exactly. Victory indeed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what we found what I found in my reporting was that you know they've they've managed to turn climate change into a political issue in science classes and in schools Mm -hmm. and like you know ideally we would like to think of science as, you know, it's the scientific process, it's unimpeachable, and you're going to go to school and you're going to learn something about how the world works, and not as this political thing. But this particular issue is very political, and Mm -hmm. it shows up in this political way all over the place in schools. So an academic standard is the state's expectation of what a student will learn in each class. So like a history standard might say that like in 10th grade, you learn about the Great Depression and the New Deal or whatever. They have their science standards as well. And in some science standards, they talk a great deal about climate change, but in other states, it's absent. Totally, you know, kids don't learn anything about climate change in in school. And, you know, and one would say that climate change is, you know, the... (laughs) the defining issue of this century, but in 30 states, climate change doesn't show up in any civics class standards. What's crazy about that to me, though, too, is that this year, and unfortunately it's not coming out until March 2022 or something, is Mm -hmm. the first time that they're having social scientists and political scientists do a working group of Uh, political scientists and social scientists to do a report on like that aspect of acting on climate for the Mm -hmm. IPCC. And I'm just like, how, how is it like 2021? And we're just now being like, Oh, 
actually, there's this whole other component. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, and yeah. it's like, it, it does show up in science class, mm-hmm. but, you know, ultimately, you don't necessarily have to understand the exact mechanism of climate change to understand that it's a big problem that we need to solve mm-hmm. and that we need to prepare for, right? And that is going to define our century. So, you know, it should show up it should show up in classes from kindergarten to through college in obviously in developmentally appropriate ways. And, you know, kids should be asked to think about what action, if any, is appropriate and kind of what solutions might exist, which is not a science question so much as it is a social science question. Right, right, right. What was like the most surprising thing that you found in in researching the book or the thing that's really stuck with you? Well, it surprised me to learn that as many as, as a third of science teachers tell students that climate change is likely natural and that about a quarter of children leave school thinking that it might be natural, basically not believing that climate change is happening, even as they're emerging into a world where it is happening in their communities often. And, you know, that that, that didn't happen accidentally. You know, that wasn't just, that wasn't just caused by kind of chance or accident, it was caused by this really intentional campaign that was at times and in certain ways really targeted at children. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, of course, like the adult world affects children, but then there's almost this other level where if you're trying to spread disinformation to adults and it spread and it kind of trickles down to children, that's, that's kind of to be expected, but that there was this actual people thinking, how can we get children? on our side. How can we get this disinformation into the hands of children and into the minds of children? And then they succeeded. it for this time. Thanks for listening. We are working on bringing you the next couple of segments in our gas season, season six, The Bridge to Nowhere. We'll be bringing you those over the next few months, along with some additional bonus episodes along the way. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of it. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.